All right, so I'm going to say a slogan, and I want you to tell me the company. Okay, we'll start easy. Just do it. Nike. Have it your way. That's good. Bet you can't eat just one. Lays. This one's tricky. That's Lays. But once you pop, you can't stop. Pringles. That's right. Obey your thirst. Sprite. Obey your thirst, Sprite. Now, I want you to notice something about these slogans. They all feed off our inability to control our appetites and desires, don't they? Just do it. Have it your way. Once you start, you can't stop. You know, you can't eat just one. Obey your thirst. Don't think about it. Just do it. It's all about you. So have it your way. Obey your thirst and appetites. And those potato chip companies are really betting on our inability to, to not eat just one chip, right? And let's be honest. You can't eat just one chip, can you? Yeah, just one bag. Okay, well. Yeah, self-control is hard enough without all the potato chips, right? And with all the, without all the encouragement to just recklessly indulge, whether it's eating or drinking or shopping or binge-watching the latest show on Netflix. I've started watching Lost on Netflix. I've never seen Lost before. I'm way behind the curve on all that. And I'm telling you, when one episode ends, you just want to watch the next because you want to know what happens next. Oh, my goodness. And, and it's hard to have that self-control and to put down the remote and walk away. Maybe for you, it's Facebook or a video game. I don't know if you've heard this latest video game craze. It's called Fortnite. And I mean, it's ruining marriages. People are getting divorced over this game. People are losing their jobs over this game. Kids are failing school. I mean, it's a serious problem. It's a highly addictive game. So what's our problem when it comes to eating and drinking and shopping and television and Facebook and video games? We're in a war. It's a battle of our wills. You see, you and I have two wills. You have one will that says, I really want a Krispy Kreme donut. I mean, after all, the sign says hot and fresh. But then you have another will that says, but I want to lose weight. And I want to get in shape. And I want to look better and feel better about myself. And those two wills are at odds with each other. Amen? So the question is, which will wins out? Amen. That's what I'm trying to do, Matt. <laughs> so Paul addresses this. If you'll turn in your Bibles or look on the screen in Galatians chapter 5, before he gets around to the fruit of the Spirit, Paul talks about this very issue. In, in Galatians 5, verses 16 and 17, he says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit, what is contrary to the sinful nature. It's, it's two wills that are at war. There's a struggle. this tug of war going on inside of us. They're in conflict with each other, he says, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit... He goes on to say, 
you are not under the law. Now listen to what he says next in verse 19. He goes on to list some specific examples of a lack of self-control and how we tend to indulge the very worst of human desires. He says, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality and impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft and hatred, discord, and jealousy, and fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, and orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now how do we overcome How do we overcome these sinful desires, these desires of the sinful flesh? How do we say no to these things? That's where he picks up in the next verse. It's the fruit of the Spirit. How do you overcome these things? By love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Let's talk about... Self-control. It's, it's interesting. I said in the first sermon that really all the different virtues of the fruit of the Spirit are really just different expressions of, of what? Do you remember? Of love. Love really is the fruit of the Spirit. But it's interesting that this last fruit, self-control, is such a direct answer to this war between the Spirit and the sinful nature. These things, these terrible sins that Paul just listed our lack of self-control. So love and self-control are interesting bookends to the fruit of the Spirit, which is why I've entitled this sermon, The Greater Love of Self-Control. Self-control really is about love. In fact, here, here's a definition for us for self-control. Self-control is a greater will toward a greater love. A greater will toward a greater love, namely our love for God first and our love for others second and then our love for ourselves. Now, we all have some area in our lives where we struggle with this. But if we have a greater love toward God, I think that self-control is not only possible, but it can even become enjoyable. And Jesus is our example of this Virtue of self-control as the fruit, as, as His Spirit bears His fruit in and through us. In Matthew chapter 4, if you'll turn there, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, shows us that Jesus not only understands our struggles and our temptations, but that it is through Him that we can overcome them. And this, you'll remember, is the story of the temptation in the wilderness. Jesus has been baptized. He's beginning his public ministry. And he immediately goes into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted, to be tried and tested. And the first way here that Jesus shows us how we can have a greater self-control is to have a greater will and love towards Scripture. It's the first thing. We need to have a greater will and love towards Scripture. 
Look at this in, in Matthew 4, beginning in verse 1. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That's probably an understatement. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, can you imagine going 40 days without food? I think most of us can't imagine going four hours without food. Or maybe even 40 minutes without food. Julia tells me if I go too long without eating, I get hangry. Anybody else get hangry? You're just not even thinking straight, right? So I have to imagine that Jesus' humanity was saying, my will right now is to find something to eat. And there's nothing wrong with that. God has given us the will to survive. Our bodies are designed to tell us when it's hungry, when it needs food. But Satan is so good at taking our very real, very honest human needs and twisting them. Taking good, God-given desires and turning them around and making them temptations towards sin. But Jesus said no. He said no to His perfectly understandable human will to eat. And He said yes to a greater will. To focus on honoring God the Father. Now, how was Jesus able to do this? He did it through the Word of God. He quoted Scripture back to Satan. See, when we read and study and memorize and meditate on God's Word it reinforces our will to obey God. God's Word makes self-control possible. It doesn't remove the temptation, but it, it strengthens us and it enables us to resist the temptation. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Maybe you struggle with controlling your anger or your tongue or your wallet. Maybe you tend toward lust or materialism or overeating. Whatever it is, God's Word can help. What Bible verse can you memorize and meditate on that you can bring to mind and help you when you're facing temptation? What verse could the Spirit bring to your mind to help you win that battle of wills and to say no to the devil and say yes to obeying God? Jesus, in all three of these temptations, Jesus uses God's Word to refute Satan. But I want us to look at this third temptation. Because this third temptation will help us to see that, that not only can we have self-control by having a greater will and love toward God's Word, but we can have self-control when we have a greater will and love over self. Over self. Listen to verses 8 through 11. This is the third temptation. It says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him 
And angels came and attended him. So when it comes to self-control, the operative word there, the, the part that gets us into trouble is the word self. It's our self. There are two kinds of people. Those who have an overly high view of their self and those who have too low a view of their self. See, some people have this overly developed sense of self and they think, you know, I'm above all this. And I don't need this sermon. I have self-control. I've got everything under control. I can stop drinking anytime. I can quit gambling anytime. You name it. I can stop it. Overeating? I'd never. Overspending? Not possible. These people think they have complete mastery over themselves, but in reality, they're in denial. They don't see their problem. They don't, they don't hear the temper. They don't, they don't see the issue. They don't see that they're spending too much time watching TV or on their phone or playing a video game. But they think they've got it all under control. Now, the second kind of person is the opposite. This person beats themselves up all the time. This person thinks that self-control isn't even possible for them, so they just give in to everything. Why even worry about what I eat? Why even worry about how much I drink? I can't stop myself, so I might as well just give in to it. And these people are overwhelmed with guilt, with shame, with self-hatred. Instead of believing the lie that says, I'm in control, I can stop anytime, they believe another lie, a different lie. The lie that says, I can't control my desires and I can't help myself, so why even try? Both of these people struggle with self-control because they have an unhealthy and unbiblical view of self. See, in this third temptation, Jesus was faced with something that most of us would struggle to say no to. He was given the opportunity to have it all. Satan said, Jesus, I'm going to give all of this to you. Just worship me. Just serve me. And you can have all the world without having to suffer and die on the cross for it. Without having to bear the shame of humanity's rebellion, you can have it all. And of course, that was a lie. But it was an appealing lie. And for us, it would be hard to resist. Because who among us doesn't want to have it all? Who among us doesn't want to feel like they're in control? That they've got power over their destiny? Who among us doesn't want to have no needs and no worries ever again? I mean, this is why people play the lottery. This is why people subscribe to all those magazines from Publishers Clearinghouse. This is why people want fame and fortune. Jesus is faced with this overwhelming temptation, but He responds, Get out of here, Satan. Get away. Because I'm only going to worship and serve the Lord God. In James 4, 7, it says, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and He will flee from you. And that's what Jesus does here. And we have to do the same with our sinful human will. Our will has to take a back seat to God's will. I have to realize that life isn't about me. It's all about Him. Now, parents, we're on the flip side of this all the time, right? I mean, you have a will on Sunday morning to get to church on time, right? 
You have a will to get your kids to school on time on Monday morning. You have a will to get through the grocery store with only the things on your list and within budget. You have a will for your kids to get their homework done and to get in bed on time. But your children have an entirely different will. Amen? They want to watch TV on Sunday morning. They want to fill the shopping cart full of all the fruit roll-ups and cookies they can grab off the shelf. They want to stay up late watching TV. Uh, Yes, I'm getting amens down here. Yes, 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 that's what I want. A big part of parenting is teaching our children that their will has to take a back seat to our will. And they have to learn that our will is good. That our will is meant for their good. Our kids may not believe it, but there is a method to our madness. And it's an important lesson for children to learn. To learn that you don't always get your way in life. To learn that our family and the rest of the world doesn't revolve around you. Just as our children have to submit their wills to ours, whether they understand it or not, whether they like it or not, so we have to submit our will to the Father in heaven. Amen? Let's take that parenting priority, though. Let's take it one more step. Not only should we be teaching our children to submit their wills to ours without a fight, but we should help them to learn that obedience can actually be pleasurable, can be enjoyable. It can even be fun. Because sometimes moms and dads have better things in mind than their kids could ever imagine. I saw this video on on the Internet, and uh, it's this great little video. This mom and dad are going to take their kids to the circus. Okay, maybe moms and dads, you might have done this before with something like that or Disney World or something. And so they're going to take their kids to the circus, but they want it to be a surprise. So as they're getting up and driving to the circus, they don't want their kids asking all these questions. Where are we going and all that? So they tell their kids that they're going to go to the broccoli farm. Woohoo! The broccoli farm. All right. So it doesn't quite turn out the way they hoped. Hi, Daddy. Hi, Daddy. Hey, listen. Hey. We're not at a broccoli farm. Where are we? We're at the circus. Oh, I wanted to do some broccoli. Wait, Max, there's elephants. I want the circus. No, I wanted to do some broccoli. We just told you that so it could be a surprise. I thought you wanted to see elephants. No, I didn't. You don't want to see elephants? No, I don't. You know who's coming? Momo and Jesse? Yep. All right, let's go. We can buy you broccoli at the store. <laughs> All right, so uh, that, that's good. So that's a parenting fail 101, right? I mean, bless their hearts. But just like that kid who thinks he wants to go to a broccoli farm and a, a circus, Disney World, whatever it is. No, I want the broccoli farm. How much are we that way with God? God has so many great, amazing things in store for us, but we're all hung up on going to the broccoli farm. If we can see beyond our limited perspectives and our wants, if we can trust that God has something better in store for us, then we can obey with gracious attitudes. Amen?
We can obey with joy and excitement. We can discover that life is far more enjoyable when we practice self-control than it is when we pitch a fit because we didn't get our way. When we submit our will to God's will, when we learn how to listen to Him and trust in Him, then self-control is no longer some kind of a dreary obligation. Instead, out of love, we take ourselves out of the driver's seat. We remove ourselves from the throne of our hearts and we allow God to take His rightful place as Lord of our lives. Self-control becomes something to be savored and enjoyed, not just some obligation we have to grudgingly try to practice. And a great way to think about this is to even consider the word joy. And this is how I've, we've taught Abby how to pray. And every time she prays, she, she goes down this list. She checks off these every, every time. The, the way to true joy is to put Jesus first, to put others second, and to put yourself last. To take our will and to move it to the back burner for the sake of God and His glory and for the good of other people around us. That's what self-control is all about. Now, you may think, here talking about Jesus, that self-control was easy for him because, well, he's Jesus, right? Of course, to think that is to completely misunderstand the nature of the incarnation. I mean, yes, Jesus is 100% God, but Jesus also is 100% human. And his humanity is real. That means the temptations for Jesus, the hunger, the thirst, the getting tired, were just as real for Him as they are for you and me. I mean, yes, His divinity is what enabled Him to do what you and I can never do, and that is to live in perfect submission and obedience to God the Father. But because of His humanity, we can know that Jesus sympathizes with us. He understands the struggle that we go through. The writer of Hebrews talks about this in Hebrews chapter 4. Jesus understands every weakness of ours. Because He was tempted in every way that we are. But He did not sin. So whenever we are in need, we should come bravely before the throne of our merciful God. There we will be treated with undeserved kindness and we will find help. Whatever it is you're having a hard time controlling and battling and fighting, know that you can come bravely to the throne of God and Jesus will help you. Now, just to show you that self-control with the power of God's Spirit at work in us is possible, let's, let's look at one regular human being who showed great self-control in the face of a strong temptation. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 39. You may remember the story of Joseph. Maybe if you haven't read it in the Bible, maybe you've seen, you know, Joseph and his amazing Technicolor dream coat. Right? But you know the, the basic story. Joseph is is the sec, next to the youngest child uh, of twelve, and his father Israel uh, Jacob loves him the most. Uh, he is just his favorite, and he gives him this coat of many colors, and he he just treats him with all of these favors and his favored position among his brothers. And Joseph has a gift; he, he has these dreams, and he can interpret dreams. So the brothers pretty much hate his guts. And one day they take him, they strip him of his precious robe, they tear it up and put blood on it, and they throw him in a well. And then along comes some some traders heading to Egypt, and they sell him into slavery. And they take the coat home and they show it to, to Dad and tell Dad that his favorite son is dead. He's been eaten up by lions. Of course, Jacob is heartbroken. In the meantime, Joseph ends up in Egypt and he is sold as a slave to the home of Potiphar. Now, Potiphar 
was uh, one of these, these leaders of Pharaoh's court. He was pretty high up. He was in charge of the prison and, and, and other different things. And, and so Potiphar was a pretty wealthy, powerful guy. And Joseph is so faithful to follow and obey the Lord, even in the face of such terrible circumstances. He never loses faith. He never loses hope. He never loses his identity as, 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 a, as, a, as a child of Israel. And so he ascends through the ranks of the slaves to become the, the, the one that Potiphar trusts the most. And he puts him in charge of all the other slaves. Puts him in charge of the household. And so Joseph has a lot to live up to, a lot of responsibility, a lot of expectations. Well, Potiphar's wife was a beautiful woman. Joseph was a good-looking guy. And she was a powerful woman who was used to getting what she wanted. And she wanted Joseph. So let's look together at Genesis 39, beginning in verse 4. Joseph found favor in Potiphar's eyes, became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household. He entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. So he trusted Joseph so much he didn't worry a thing about it. He didn't even keep up with what was going on. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her. My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he's entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Now, Joseph, a young teenage boy, this beautiful woman coming on to him, is able to say no. Why? Look back at verse 9. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? See, the third way that we can have self-control is when we have a greater will and love over sin. What was Joseph's greater will and love over sin? It was his will and love toward God. Joseph did the right thing for the right reason. Now, sometimes we do the right thing for the wrong reasons. Okay, we might say no to a situation like this because we don't want to get caught. Right? We don't want to get in trouble. We don't want to face the consequences. We're worried about our reputation. What would other people think of me if this got out? Those are the wrong reasons to say no to sin. The right reason to say no to sin is because our will and love toward God is greater. That's why Joseph said no. He knew that the sin against God, even more than disappointing his master, even losing his position, none of those paled in comparison to the heartbreak of knowing that he had dishonored his God. For Joseph, it wasn't about keeping rules. It was about a relationship. Paul writes about this at the beginning of Galatians chapter 5. He talks about the motivation behind Christian obedience and self-control. It's freedom, not restriction. It's love, not law. It's rules, not relationship. Listen to what Paul writes in Galatians 5. It is for freedom 
the Christ to set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. See, our world wants to tell us that freedom is being able to do whatever you want. But the truth is that when we give in to sin, when we give up our self-control, we become slaves. Real freedom is found in Christ. Paul goes on in verse 5. He says, By faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. In other words, all the religious rituals mean nothing. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. It's about freedom. It's about love. It's about relationships. And look at verse 13. You, my brothers, are called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, use it to serve one another in love. This was Joseph's mindset. He said, my love for God is so deep, I gain pleasure and joy for living for Him. Not from giving in to sin. By expressing my faith through love. I find real freedom comes through obedience. And real freedom means I serve others in love. I don't indulge my own desires for my own selfish purposes. That kind of a mentality lets us practice self-control and enjoy it. We discover that obeying God is pleasurable. It's desirable to please Him more than all that the world could ever promise. So this morning... How can you have greater self-control? You can have greater self-control by having a greater love and will towards God's Word. Having a greater love and will over yourself and over sin. But how do we do that? It goes back to the very first sermon I preached in this series. It goes back to abiding in Christ. Like a branch in a vine. Listen to what Jesus says in John 15. And I'm going to close with this. And as you listen to these these words, listen for words like love, joy, obedience. Basically, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit can only develop in us when we are in Christ. When we're in an active, daily relationship of trust and love with Him. Listen to these words. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that does not bear fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You were already clean because of the Word I have spoken to you. Remain in Me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in Me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If a man remains in Me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from Me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. 
Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything I've learned from my Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. This morning, are you in Christ? Or are you like a dead branch, not bearing any fruit, good for nothing but to be burned in a fire? The Bible tells us that all of us will face that judgment someday. Every one of us, either when we face death or when Christ returns, He will look at you and He will ask, Were you in me? Are you in Jesus Christ? Have you confessed your sin? Have you turned from it to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to forgive you, to live within you and through you, to bear fruit through you? Is Jesus the Lord of your life this morning? If you have any doubt about that, any question about that whatsoever, I invite you in a moment to come and to see me here. Let's settle it today. That you can walk out of this place knowing that you know that you belong in Jesus Christ. And He is in you. This morning, maybe you need to renew your love for God. Maybe you've not been bearing the fruit that you need to be bearing because you've allowed other things to grow up in you, to distract you, to deceive you. You've allowed maybe some unforgiveness or some bitterness in your heart. Maybe you just are so focused on earning money and being successful and working hard. Maybe some other thing has become a distraction for you and you need to come this morning and say, Father, prune this out of my life. Forgive me of this sin. Forgive me of this distraction. Forgive me for these wrong priorities. I've been putting my will ahead of yours and everyone else's. Forgive me and prune this out of my life that I may bear the fruit of your Spirit. I invite you to come this morning and to pray and to do business with God and to settle it here so that when you leave this place, you can leave knowing that you are full of the Spirit of Christ and you're going to let Him bear His fruit through you. You're going to let Him give you that self-control that you don't have on your own. Maybe this morning God is moving in your heart to come and unite with this church family. Whatever, whatever God is speaking to you, in a moment we're going to stand and sing, and I pray that you would obey and find the joy in stepping out in faith and obeying the Lord's voice. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you and thank you for your kindness and your patience toward us. We thank You, Lord, that You don't leave us to navigate the rough waters of this life on our own, but You have given us Your Holy Spirit to grow and to develop within us all nine of these Christ-like virtues, to be like a fruit that is born in our lives that others can see and know that we belong to You. Father, I pray, whatever virtue it is that someone in this room today knows that they're struggling with, and they need Your Spirit to help them, I pray they would come this morning and surrender themselves at this altar to You. That it would be a moment that would stick out in their mind, Lord, like planting a flag to say, here I stand, and here I give myself anew and afresh to Jesus Christ that He may bear His fruit through me. 
Maybe someone here today, Lord, doesn't even know You. They've never trusted their life to You. They've been trying maybe to, to earn Your grace and Your love and, and to pay off their misdeeds and their sins by doing good things. But God, they've never surrendered and trusted You and received the grace from You that can only be received as a free gift. I pray this morning they would come and give their lives to Jesus Christ. Lord, move and work in our hearts and in our minds, not only in this moment, but throughout this week and the weeks to come. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Would you stand in the-